Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to the Cyber Law Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Pollack, cybersecurity and privacy attorney with McDonald Hopkins. As always, keep those questions, calls, comments coming. We had a really some really good ones that I'm actually excited to address today. Um, call me at 410-917-5189 or email me at spollock, that's S as in Sam, P as in Paul, O-L-L-O-C-K at mcdonaldhopkins.com. Very excited today. We've got one of my most favorite people in the industry, and I'm upset she gets to hear me say that, but that's okay. Uh, Miss Linda Comerford from Amtrust, who is the AVP of Cyber Services and Incident Response. Linda, thank you for joining, and how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me today. It's always a pleasure to hear your voice and work with you on cases. Wonderful. All right, so let's jump into it, you know, because I do love working with you guys. I really think that Amtrust um, has developed an interesting process for their claims, cyber claims. So I was hoping that you could kind of just walk us through how you all run your claims and kind of what is the differentiator between you and maybe some others, and I'm not knocking anybody else. Sure, not a problem. I think when it comes to claims and cyber claims in particular, we see two different schools of thought. You've got your um, general carrier who might just hand the claim off to Privacy Council and have them run the show. And then you have some of the carriers like ours who were more of a teamwork approach. So the way that Amtrust handles our claims is we work in tandem during the entire process with the insured and the vendors that are engaged. So when a claim comes in, we're initially going to make that contact with our insured, gather the details, sort of assess what's happened and gone on, and make sure that we work with them to get them in the hands of the proper vendor to assist with their situation. So we'll help them to pick out the privacy council as well as the digital forensic firm that makes the most sense for their situation. And we'll be there on the scoping call, sort of managing that communication, making sure that throughout the process, as things progress, if they have coverage questions, we're there every step of the way, right? Because a lot of the time, an insured might not be as familiar with their policy as, say, we are, right? Because we see it day in, day out. So we're going to be able to help them to say, the cost that you want to do will or will not be covered. Or, you know, maybe that's a great security enhancement, but that's going to be an out-of-pocket expense. Rather than at the end of the claim, someone trying to submit it and say, hey, we expected this to be covered. And unfortunately, finding out that since it's an upgrade, it wouldn't be a covered cost, but more of an out-of-pocket cost. So we do a lot of the hand-holding to make sure that there aren't those unpleasant surprises at the end and to make sure that throughout the process they feel like their voice is heard, um, they're feeling comfortable with all the vendors engaged, and honestly to really help move things along if they have questions or concerns as things unfold. Yeah, and I mean, you hit on a lot of good things and a lot of things that uh, I really like. You know, in terms of the first part was the teamwork, right? Mm -hmm. I, I preach about this. And I know you and I have had extensive conversations. This has got to be a team game, right? It's It can't just be fiefdoms anymore uh, mm -hmm. because the process is really unique. It's very complex and it's very intensive. So, you know, I love when you're on these calls and somebody's asking me about coverage. Somebody's asking me, can we do this? Can we do that? And then you can just jump in right then rather than the game of telephone that's got to occur. Mm -hmm. Um, it also adds that level of comfort, right? And communication. So everybody's got that expectation setting already in place. Uh, you know, one thing I, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, yeah, I completely agree with you. And honestly, when we all work together really well, 
It's such a seamless, well-oiled machine that things happen faster, smoother. I'm able to provide those approvals that are needed, right? If it's a ransomware claim and we need to make a quick payment for $100,000, if I have been out of the loop, I'm not really aware, as an adjuster, it's going to take longer to get those approvals done. If I'm in every step of the way, I'm on the call where we're considering even offering $100,000, I'm able right off the bat to already have that pre-approval ready to go before we're even offering it to the threat actor to make sure that when it is offered and accepted, we're able to turn around the payment process very rapidly. Exactly. And, you know, speed is such a, of an essence in this. And, you know, a lot of my clients always get worried about like, when are we being reimbursed? Is this covered? Mm-hmm. When are we getting our money back? And so I really like that approach that you all bring to the claims process because I feel like it is a, you know, I, uh, 95% of all of our jobs in this is to make sure a client feels good, right? And to get them to where they need to go. Um, and I really think you all do a great job of that. And that that kind of leads into the next question. Well, not really, but I'll pivot into the next question is <laughs> a lot of my clients are coming to me, talking to me about how the there's a hard market right now. Um, and they're having trouble getting cyber insurance. And I always say, you know, want to get to a good cyber broker out there. Uh, but also, what what can we be telling them? And what can we tell people about how to become more attractive, quote unquote, in this hard market? Sure, not a problem. Uh, in preparation for this, I did talk with our underwriting team a little bit to sort of get a better picture for you. Other, aside from what I already know and have in my experience, think to make a better insured but what the underwriters themselves are really seeing that make a better insured. So when it comes to a small business looking to become a cyber insured, there are a common, there are a few common issues that we're seeing and that's getting multi-factor authentication in place. So MFA, as some will call it, is where when you go to sign into your email, it's more than just a password. There's maybe a second way to authenticate that it is you, in fact, trying to access your email. So having MFA in place really makes it a lot easier to find someone willing to write a policy for you. And a lot of people are unsure even what cyber insurance covers, right? So finding a good cyber agent, someone who's familiar with the different offerings is really important because it can be very different depending on which carrier is using it. There's no sort of across the board common wording. And so it can be very confusing to sort of differentiate what is going on in each of these policies, you know, and you want to make sure when you're considering a policy, they're all of the same sort of apples to apples. Like they're as comprehensive as you want. You're not just going for the cheapest one. So when you're trying to find that right quote for you and become a better insured potentially to be written, you want to make sure it's as easy as possible for a carrier to write you. And, you know, implementing things like phishing training is another great way to reduce your risk and look like a good risk for a carrier. And even requiring authentication before you transfer funds internally, right? So one of the common ways we see people losing money aside from ransomware is misdirecting their funds. An employee accidentally sends funds, hundreds of thousands of dollars, even millions of dollars to a fraudster. And that's because their email might have been compromised and the threat actor really tricks them into changing bank account information and misdirecting money. So by putting that 
authentication requirement, picking up the phone and calling a vendor before you make a payment, you already are a much better risk, you know, being more aware of what sort of data you keep if it's confidential information and where you're hosting it and how much you have is another great way to say, well, we're not a big risk because we do have good hygiene for cyber. We delete all of our confidential information after one year of holding it. So our number of confidential records is much lower than someone else's might be. And those were definitely the ones that underwriting was hitting hard. And I would say on the claim side, some ways to be a more attractive insured is make sure you're being transparent. You know, have your IT really work to get honest answers on these applications and, um, you know, letting us know if you do have a problem right away, because sometimes people will submit a potential issue as a cyber claim and having us being able to let them know, well, this isn't a covered claim because it isn't a real issue, but we got you in touch with some vendors for free for assistance, right? That can be really helpful or just even talking them through you got something concerning, let's see and explore if it is an actual claim. That can either lead to it being a claim or it not being a claim. So we like to be there to help, right? And to become another uh, another way to become an attractive insured is um, if you had an incident, be honest about that. Like we're going to see that on your application. And at least at Amtrust, we're okay with incidents happening, right? They happen. It's how did you learn from it? Are you a better insured now? You know, have you made changes to reduce your risk in the future? And we still look to write people who have had a problem because sometimes those who have had an issue are better insureds because they understand just how important cybersecurity is after having an incident. Yeah. I mean, once again, you touched on a lot of great points. And I think the general theme is don't hide things <laughs> as you're going to claim, right? That's always problematic. Um, be prepared um, mm-hmm. and do a lot of just simple due diligence. Like MFA is, it's amazing to me when people don't have MFA because it's such a simple thing that you need to get in place that if you don't, you're such a huge liability at this point. And even if if you're running into issues rolling out MFA, do it on the essential accounts. Anyone mm-hmm. who's high up, the executives, and especially anyone with any monetary access, right? So if they're in accounting or HR, Let's get MFA on them, even if it's not your average employee. The ones that have access to things that could lead to issues should definitely have MFA in place. Exactly. And that's what I tell people. It's like, just act reasonably, right? Just start piecing this together because doing nothing is not going to help here. It's just Mm -hmm. not. I Uh, agree. 100%. And then, I mean, that kind of leads into the next question, right? Of the common missteps. You know, I think you covered a, a couple, but anything else that you wanted to kind of flush out that you've seen, you know, in your vast claims experience of of what a client is doing when they have an incident that you just look back and shake your head being like, oh, that's just not good. Yeah, I'd say the number one thing is not submitting the claim. So sometimes what happens is there's a potential cyber incident or an actual incident and an insured will think, yeah, I have a policy, but I'm going to handle this myself. I'm going to do this and see about fixing it. 
And a lot of the time what ends up happening is things get worse, right? We do this day in, day out. We handle ransomware cases, business email compromise. We see cyber issues on the regular. So part of the, I guess, value add you have of purchasing a policy is access to us, access for us to get you in touch with pre-approved vendors who are going to help you at a great rate that we've vetted them for their experience and we've vetted them for reasonable rates for our insureds to then use. So when people are incurring costs and doing things on their own, they might not be going to someone who's as qualified as they say they are, or they might be gouged with pricing that's much higher than it really needs to be. And they're at a vulnerable time, like they're desperate for help right away. Well, we do have a 24-hour hotline, and that's why we're here 24 hours. We're here to help whenever it comes in, even if it's Friday at 6 o'clock or Friday at midnight. You know, I've had scoping calls with, you know, you, your team, anyone else that we need to have on there at any time of night, depending on what needs to be handled. And we want to make sure they're getting that help right away. So getting the right folks in to help at the right time is really key and can lead to a lot of cost savings for the insured and a lot less downtime, right? Getting back to operational is really important. And, you know, a good example of of one instance that I've seen was we had an insured who had one email account that was compromised and they went and got a quote for $100,000 from an IR firm, incident response. Ouch. Yeah, that's a lot for a business email compromise, as you well know. You know, normally what we're seeing to handle something of that nature, especially one account, would be more in line with $5,000, maybe at max, you know, $8,000. So for them to have a quote for $100,000 is really a shock. And if we were involved right at the onset, we would let them know, hey, don't do $100,000 worth of work. That's questionable. Let's get you with a vendor who's going to do this day in, day out. We know is going to do a great job and they're going to be a reasonable price. So you're not breaking the bank or losing your limits needlessly because you might need them elsewhere for other costs that we're going to have to work on there. So that's a big one. And (laughs) (laughs) and Yeah, that's that's definitely a big one. (laughs) And then I'd say like we're talking about not having MFA in place, right? Because that's a really easy thing to have in place. Um, See, another thing would be when an insured trusts their IT unequivocally, right? You want to make sure you're asking questions and you place your trust in them. Yes. But, you know, if they're having trouble answering questions when you're filling out a cyber insurance application and they can't answer some very basic questions, you might want to maybe reevaluate how much they know about your network and how they're monitoring your network. Because if they're the ones in charge of it and they don't have the capability to answer some basic questions about that network, I'd be concerned, you know, and Big time. I, I would say checking on your backups, right? Making sure your IT company is actually backing up your backups and have in place a double check to ensure that if something is going to happen or does happen, you actually have the backups you think you have, you know, having two different backups, the onsite, the offsite, the air gapped backup. So if everything connected to your network's encrypted, you have that actual backup to recover from. I've seen it save thousands of dollars. I'm sure you have too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything you're saying is just ringing true. It's just kind of scary. Well, obviously, because we talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) 
for sure. I'm sure we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, I think that just the, the blind trust factor is a big problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, but it's like you get so comfortable with uh, one person and it's just you get complacent um, and then you start missing things. So I think just a better checks and balance that clients definitely need, you know, and I think, you know, not coming to you all right in the hundred thousand, you know, mm-hmm. IR cost for a BEC. I've seen it before as well. It's just like. Oof. it's crazy, right? I, I had one where we took over and the legal cost before we got in for a BC, I think one account was like $70,000. No way. Oh, that yeah. is outrageous. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I said, somebody, I need to change firms really quickly. So, don't worry, Jim and Dom, I'm not changing firms. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, everything you said is ringing true. Um, but oh, to to finish up, I always am interested, like, how did you get into cyber insurance? You know, because it's it's not, I don't think they offer it in the courses in college or to kind of get you in this direction. So what led you down this path? They do offer courses in college, but I did not take really? it. Oh. Yeah. So I've, I've talked to a few people because this is one of the few things that comes up every time you meet someone. You're like, oh, how'd you get in the industry? You know, that common question when you're networking and meeting new people. And I have been surprised to come back and said, yeah, I did study this. That was not my intake to cyber. The way most of us fall into cyber is literally falling into it by chance, right? I did not go to school for this. My master's is in publishing and writing. So very detail oriented, very much follow the puzzle and fill in the puzzle. That kind of thought process, I think, lends well to cyber claims, but The way I actually fell into it was I was working at Trader Joe's at the time because I was in college and just wrapping up college and someone came through my line and they were like, you know, I really like you. So I sent her my resume and she reached out to me and said, all right, you've got an interview with this firm. It's about, um, you know, being a technical assistant for underwriting for cyber programs. I was like, oh, sounds interesting. I'll give it a try. And so three months in, I'm like, this is fascinating. This is so cool. I didn't even know this was a thing. Cyber insurance is really a fascinating up and coming area, right? How do we protect against these common threats that are Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. becoming more and more prevalent for small businesses and large businesses, right? So that's sort of how I fell into it and sort of moved around in the industry, moved over to claims, love the claim side. It's really just trying to see how the policy fits in with real life situations and holding people's hands as they're going through the process is one of the most rewarding experiences, I think, because I feel like if I were going through that, how would I feel? And it's a lot of panic and you feel helpless because you have not experienced this before. So I like to be there to hold their hand through it and make sure that they know they have someone in their corner and that we're going to be able to walk them through to get back to operational as quickly as they possibly can. So yeah, that's, that's how I got where I am. Oh, I love that answer. Especially that you started the Trader Joe's and then kind of shifted (laughs) over. But you have such a great mentality, right? Because it's the people aspect and You know, a lot of us, I think, get caught up in the analytical aspect, but what I try to tell others, and look, I'm a victim of it too. I sometimes get caught up in the analytical side rather than the people side, but we all really have to understand that, you know, when a client comes to us, when an insured comes to us, it's such a bad day and they just, Mm -hmm. they just want to, they want to feel heard. I mean, it's so simple and silly, but they, 
they just want to feel heard. Right. So um, I love that you kind of like flag that too. Mm -hmm. You do a great job with that. I'll say on the cases we've worked together, I think you are very approachable, very relatable. So you listen when the insurers have questions and concerns that they're bringing up and make sure that you bring them to me if they aren't brought to me directly. And that's part of that great teamwork that I think makes for better claim handling and better experience for our insureds. So thank you and your team. Oh, now you got me blushing. I appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And we didn't touch on it, but I did want to hit one of the um, common, I would say, missteps insureds make is not buying cyber insurance. That's a great Uh, point. I think that that like just to circle back on that as one last thing that I think the biggest mistake is thinking it'll never happen to you. It's too I'm too small. It'll never happen because we see, as you and I know, day in, day out, it's the little guys that hurt the most when these things happen and they don't have the revenue to protect themselves and recover from something like this, having a policy can be make or break for a company for having that security to know, I paid a little bit for the year, but now if something happens, I have a million dollars at my beck and call for notification costs, privacy counsel, digital forensic costs, that would all be incurred if there was a really bad ransomware event. I mean, you make a great point. It's like, that's the first thing I tell any potential client is get cyber insurance, right? Or any client. It's like, get, this is a very simple statement. It's like, how do we first get best repaired, get cyber insurance? Because if not, you're going to be paying me out of pocket, which I'm okay with, but I don't think they want to be okay with it. So I don't mind paying you, Spencer. That's what I'm here for. I love it. I, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think, I think this was great. You had a lot of wonderful insight that I know the audience is going to appreciate. I sure hope so. And I'm always happy to answer more questions. If anyone does want to reach out or, you know, has questions about Amtrust and how we handle claims, that's what I'm here for as well. Wonderful. And how how can somebody reach out if they have some more questions for you? Sure. Not a problem. Reaching out via lynda.comerford, that's C-O-M-E-R-F-O-R-D, at amtrustgroup.com would be most ideal. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. Linda, thank you again. And thank you to all the listeners. Um, And as always, we're looking forward to seeing you in the next one. Call me with questions, comments. Call me with your questions, comments, concerns. There we go. Um, and we will see you on the next one. Have a great morning, great afternoon, or great evening.